Hey guys, welcome back to For I Have Sinned. My name is Jess. And this is Lauren. And we are back. And it's been a little while, but we're back and we're better than ever. That's it. <laughs> you got a minute? Yeah. So uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us. Like our videos, comment if you'd like, nothing nasty. No. Yeah, <laughs> um, be nice. Yeah, seriously, be nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, do that. And also Patreon, check us out on Patreon for uh, patreon.com slash for I have sinned pod for all kinds of goodies. And today we are doing something a little bit different. Um, so for those of you who've listened from the beginning, you know that I started the podcast and I did episode one and two alone and then Lauren joined. So I do not like those episodes. I feel awkward as hell. I sound awkward as hell. I mean, I don't know if it, it translates that way. It translates that. Holy shit. I can't talk. Hold, I don't know if it translates that way, but, um, I hear it. Yeah. So yeah. I want so today we're gonna redo episode one, which is the uh, butcher of Rostov, Andre Chikatilo, and he might be my most not feared. I think when I when I read about this case originally, like probably like a decade ago, I. It just like like affected you. My, yes, it like yeah. just rocked my world, not in a good way. Like, yeah, not that's not the term. Rocked my world. It would be turn my world upside down. It fucked <laughs> you all the way up. It fucked me all the way up, <laughs> all the way around, down. Yeah, in the back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, I did watch. I read about it, and then I watched uh, the A and E biography they did I don't know A&E did a series back in the day with like I think there's a, there's one about Madonna uh there might be one about Richard Ramirez I'm not too sure but anyway there's one on Andre Chikatilo and oh hey Tyrion oh, sorry <laughs> it's okay um yeah so I I watched that documentary and I just I don't know it like kind of scarred me but super fascinating yeah okay and it's definitely one of those cases um that like the more you look into it and learn about it the more you're like wow this is extremely fucked up yeah yeah and there's just there's so many elements to this case that make it all the more you know terrifying and um and, but, you know, we wanted to redo the first, we're going to redo the first two episodes. So that we'll do Daniel LaPlante next time. Although this is going to be a two-parter. Uh, the first part will be a little, kind of short, but, um, you know, we thought it would be better if we could have a conversation about it instead of just me speaking solo because I, me no likey. Yeah, and it's always harder to do something by yourself where you don't have that interaction with someone right. and you're just talking to no one, basically. Right. Yeah. Plus, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So, <laughs> all right, well, let's get started with the uh, 
the do-over of Andre Chikatilo. All right. All right. So Andre Chikatilo was born on October 16th, 1936 in the village of Yablachna. Remember, I always choose. Always. Always. From episode one. Always. (laughs) Names, the hardest, like, places. So, you know, (laughs) I've heard these names quite a few times, but I still don't know if I can say them. So let's see. Okay, so I'm pretty sure this is Yablachna, which is in the Sumy Oblast of the Ukrainian SSR, or was. Uh, At the time... Uh, the Ukraine was experiencing famine caused by Joseph Stalin's forced collectivization of agriculture. Um, so he was born just into complete destitution, you know, and, um, his parents were both collective farm laborers and they, but they all lived in a one room hut. So oh if you God. can imagine, like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you could almost, I guess you could compare it to, like, a studio apartment in the sense that it's one room. Right. But it's probably not, like, they probably don't didn't have a bathroom, you know? Right. Yeah, it was they, probably, like, it, a shack. Yeah, like yeah. a little outhouse or something like that. But, um, yeah, so, and I mean, it's a hut, so it's not in good shape. So, anyway, they received no wages, but they did receive the right to cultivate a plot of land behind their hut. So, yay, communism in Russia. Right. (laughs) So food was very scarce. Uh, Chikatilo later claimed to not have eaten bread until he was 12. Wow. Yeah. And his family ate grass and leaves to save off hunger. I mean, I guess at that point, you're just so hungry. I don't think taste matters like whatsoever, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. It's like when you hear about, um, stuff like Detlove Pass where they yeah. ate their shoes and then they ate people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I, true. You just do what you do, what you have to do to survive. Yeah. They're which, in full on survival mode, which yeah. is horrifying. Yeah, and I can't I can't imagine being in a situation like that, but I guess, you know, something takes over and you just do what you have to do, you know? Right, right. And your kids being in that situation as well, like a whole family, it's just hard to even imagine that. I know. So, you know, he was born into a real shitty situation. Um, when he was young, he was also told by his mother, Anna, that he had an older brother... It's either Stepan or Stepan, I'm guessing it's Stepan, uh, who was kidnapped at four years old and eaten by starving neighbors. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she told Andre this, and I don't like calling them by their first names. He, um, she told Chikatilo this, and uh, that was actually never established whether it was true or not. It was possibly told to him to keep him away from strangers because I mean, there were people doing stuff like that. Sure. So like a scare tactic. Yeah. But uh, also extremely fucked up. Well, it's funny because, and I, I feel like I might have talked about this on another episode, but my great grandma, my Nona was terrified of everything. 
And when I was about eight or nine years old, she was over at my house and I was like, no, no, let's go for a walk because me and my mom and my stepdad would take walks around the block all the time. Mm-hmm. So I was, I just was like, no, no, let's go for a walk. So we get maybe like three houses down and she's like, we have to go back. We have to go back. And I'm like, this is all said in a thick Italian accent, which I'm not going to do right now. But um, I was like, why? What's wrong? And she's like, we can't be, you can't be walking around the block. The other day I was outside my house and there was a girl walking and I saw a guy grab her and put her in his car and stab her. And I was like, oh my God, let's go back. Yeah. You know, and that absolutely traumatized me. Yeah. I was terrified of being kidnapped from such a young age because of this story that my great grandma told me. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's, it's like the same type of thing. It could be with what he did or what his mom told him, you know, but that's just, that's not the way to do it. Right. And at such a young age, you're so impressionable. I remember uh, when I was a kid, my mom used to say, oh, the man's going to get you. And not so much to me, but I think she would say it more to my younger sister. And I was being a little bit older would be like, what man? (laughs) that, That is just such a weird cultural thing that it's like, you know, there's, there's something that you pick to scare your child into doing what you want them to do or don't want them to do. Is your mom Italian? Uh, they are, they are actually Irish and German, but my dad's side is, um, Italian. Oh, okay. So she might've gotten it from that side of the family. She might. Cause I feel like that's such an Italian. I mean, I'm sure it's not just, but yeah, I just, you know, I just remember being a kid and, and my whole family telling us things like, more to scare us to not do things instead of just making us aware of what could happen if you're right. in a bad situation, right. which I think is the the right way to do, to go about things. Right. But Hey, you know, parenting, parenting yeah. styles. Um, um, so yeah. So again, that this was never established. This, this was never verified. Um, it's not even verified whether there really was an older brother. So this could have just been a story that his mother made up. Um, He remembers his childhood as being affected by poverty, ridicule, hunger, and war. And when the Soviet Union entered World War War II, his father, Roman, was drafted into the Red Army. He he ended up being taken prisoner after he was wounded uh, in combat. Um, and then Chikatilo said between 1941 to 1944, he witnessed the horrors of the Nazi occupation of Ukraine. He saw bombings, fires, and shootings. He and his mother would hide in cellars and ditches. Um, they were actually on one occasion forced to watch their hut burn to the ground. Yeah. Um, now, Chikatilo and his mother had to share a single bed while his father was gone. Um, I'm get, I don't know if, if like, I don't think they all shared a bed when the father was there, but I don't know. Somebody had to have had, like, a bed on the floor or something. Sure. So, yeah, so he slept with his mother while his father was away, but he was a chronic bedwetter. 
and his mother beat him every time it happened. So now we've got, let's add abuse to the mix, to the and, recipe for disaster. Uh, bedwetting is part of the McDonald triad. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. So in 1943, his mom gave birth to a baby girl named Tatiana. Now, his father could not have been Tatiana's father because he was at war. So it was speculated that Tatiana was a product of rape, as many Ukrainian women were raped by German soldiers. Um, and this rape was most likely committed in front of Chikatilo. Uh, at school, he was consistently targeted by bullies because of his weak stature and timid nature. His teachers, however, praised him for being an excellent student. He was super studious. He loved to read, very good at school. In his teen years, he became an enthusiastic communist. Uh, he became the appointed editor of the school newspaper and chairman of the Pupils Communist Party Committee. He constantly read communist literature and organized street marches, which is a weird thing for like a teenager to be into. I mean, I mm -hmm. guess I guess now in a well in America anyway, it's a little bit different. I feel like it. A lot of younger people are into politics now, mm -hmm. maybe just because of the past four years. But um, I mean, I guess it was this, the type, the same sort of thing in Russia. Like communist communism was a huge thing at this time, so I guess kids were a part of it too. You know? Yeah, I mean, and I think it is kind of a regional thing, and I agree that America may have been um, not as prevalent, but you look at Germany and the, the Hitler youth program, like True. The, they, and that's in my opinion, a way of indoctrinating children into mm -hmm. this, you know, belief system and um, get them started at a young age get, and, and have it in the schools. And then, yeah. you know, um, so I think that's probably strategic. Yeah, that's true. I mean, think about it. There's also other countries where they have, child soldiers shooting guns yeah you know yeah horrifying that's hard yeah that is absolutely like ugh, i yeah. can't even think about that i don't know that's that is just so beyond disturbing um so in 1954 chikatilo graduated with excellent grades uh but during puberty chikatilo started to suffer from chronic impotence and this was a, a big turning point in his life um this made him even more socially awkward. Uh, he was very shy in front of women. And at age 17, he jumped on his sister's 11-year-old friend and wrestled her. And as she struggled, he ejaculated. So, yeah. How old was he, 17? He was 17. The little girl okay. was 11. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And that that is very foretelling of things yeah for him yeah like that's that becomes a big wow thing for him so um after graduation he applied for a scholarship at moscow state university and he was rejected he assumed this was because of his father who had been branded a traitor for being taken prisoner at war so he was now ridiculed because his father was taken prisoner while he was wounded and they, I mean, that's, that's fucking crazy. Like you get wounded 
during war and you get taken prisoner because you're wounded and can't do anything. Yeah. And you're branded a traitor. That's yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's sad because they probably, I mean, you see it happen in TV shows and movies and whatever where somebody is a prisoner, whether it's a prisoner of war or whatever, or they're held captive. And they think that once this person's released back to wherever they were from, oh, well, what did you tell them? What what information did they get out of you? So that, that could be why. It might have been that sort of mentality where they probably assumed that they extracted some sort of information. And if you think about the paranoia and uh, of the country at that time. That's true. That's yeah. very true. Sad I didn't think but about true. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then in 1955, he actually had his first relationship with a local girl. And on three occasions, they attempted intercourse, but each time Chikatilo was unable to sustain an erection. And she broke it off after about 18 months. So. I don't know, man, like, and not to sound, I don't know if, not, I'm not shallow, but not to sound, like, mean. Yeah. But if you don't have any type of sexual chemistry and you've tried a few times, I just don't see how that could work. Yeah. Um... And at such a young age, that's hard because of hormones and stuff. And yeah, that's true. Yeah, that. I guess that's... more as an adult, that would be yeah a little bit more um, frustrating, and for both parties. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I guess like when you're when you're that young, you're kind of just you you know you want to be in a relationship. Type, you know, you have those exactly. sorts of feelings. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um. In 1957, he was drafted into the Soviet Army until 1960, and then he joined the Communist Party officially shortly before his service ended. Uh, He returned to his native village and began a relationship with a young divorcee, which ended after three months because of several unsuccessful attempts at intercourse. She innocently asked her friends for advice about his impotence, and her friends opened their mouths. And he was ridiculed by his peers. So this was something else to make fun of him about and, you know, to hold him back. Yep. So he says, or he said, girls were going behind my back, whispering that I was impotent. I was so ashamed. I tried to hang myself. My mother and some young neighbors pulled me out of the noose. So that's really sad. Yeah, it is. And um, I was just listening to uh the morbid podcast and they always say like feel bad for the kid don't feel bad for the killer you know right who they turn into right right yeah yeah and that happens often in these cases where you see such a traumatic childhood and so many horrible things happen to them that you do feel bad yeah and when you're going through a story chronologically the way that we do as well you do, you're focused on that early stage of their life and you forget that they become such a piece of shit later on in life that it it is, it's easy to garner sympathy for that child that you know was teased, abused, terrified, poor, starving. 
so it's a conflicting emotion, really. It is. It is. Yeah. And guys, if you haven't listened to episode one and you don't know about Andre Chikatilo, you're not going to feel that bad for him for much longer. Yeah. So, because yeah. Yeah. he's probably one of the all time worst to ever live that ever lived. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So after all of this, Chikatilo felt that he had to leave home and he moved to Rostov on Don, and he rented a small apartment close to his new job as a communications engineer. His sister Tatiana finished school and moved in with him for six months before marrying a local and moving into her in-laws home. At this point, she vowed to help her brother find a wife and start a family. In 1963, Chikatilo married Fyodoja, this is a hard one, Fyodoja Adnacheva, who was introduced to him by his sister Tatiana. His marital sex life was minimal, and due to his impotence, his wife would conceive by him ejaculating externally and pushing his semen inside her vagina with his fingers. Wow. Yeah. Which I didn't even, before I heard about this case and heard that detail, I didn't even know that you could do that. Uh, DIY artificial insemination. Yeah, I guess. But I don't know. I just feel like, you know, you're not using any type of, you know, applicator, applicator. And also, you know, I don't know when they do certain fertility treatments, I, you know, the, the sperm is kept safe and yeah, I just, I don't know. I I just find that fucking crazy. It is pretty (laughs) wild. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked. Because in 1965, they had a daughter, Ludmilla, and in 1969, a son named Yori. So Chikatilo enrolled at Rostov University in 1964. He studied Russian literature and philology, which is a study of language in written historical sources. In 1970, he got his degree, and he began teaching Russian language and literature in Novoshaktinsk. Wow, I'm I'm very impressed with myself. I am um, too. <laughs> yeah, Novoshaktinsk. So he, he was largely ineffective as a teacher. Um, he was not able to maintain discipline, and he was regularly mocked by his students. Again. Uh, again. Yeah. yeah. So this just like follows him yep. throughout his life. Uh, In May of 1973, he committed his first known sexual assault on one of his students. I guess it was a field trip or something. It's not very clear, but they they were swimming somewhere. And like his his students and him and I guess maybe other people who, I don't know. Uh, So he swam towards a 15-year-old girl, groped her breasts and genitals, and he ejaculated while she struggled to get away. So... There's a pattern that's starting. Uh, He later assaulted another teenage girl whom he locked in his classroom. He was not disciplined for either of these incidents, nor for when fellow teachers saw him fondling himself in the presence of his students. So, you know, I, I know back in the day, there's some things that people just didn't talk about stuff like that. Mm hmm. But this is fucking, like, right in front of everybody, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, 
Uh, I think part of it has to do with that sort of um, brainwashed uh, Russian mentality. Like we have no problems. This yeah. is this is a Soviet utopia, and we we don't have any problems. And if we don't talk about it, yeah. then it's not a problem. Then it's not real. Right. I, I right. think that, and, and I and I think also of the time, it was just you know sexual assaults uh, weren't taken as seriously as they are now. No. It was like taboo to speak about it, and oh yeah, and to even acknowledge but, that it happened. Yeah, right. But yeah, like you said, you know, there was definitely a state of denial going on in Russia, and we'll see that later on too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that comes. But into um, yeah. So uh, Chikatilo also entered the girls' dormitory in hopes of seeing them naked. Finally, he was told to resign voluntarily or be fired. He chose the former, and he found another job teaching in 1974 with none of his offenses on his record. So it was just like, all right, just go somewhere else. And that kind of reminds me of what the Catholic Church did with the priests. That's oh, you, true. you got caught raping a, a child in this church? Okay, well, we'll just to not talk about that and send you somewhere else. Yeah. And it, it nothing the on there. And then yep. just go there. Yep. <laughs> Disgusting. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, in 1978, he took another teaching position in Shakti, which is a coal mining town north of Rostov on Don. And he stopped teaching in 1981 after complaints of child molestation against students of both sexes. At one point, because I guess the schools that he worked, I'm not sure if this was his first teaching job or his second, but it could have it could have been this way in both. But, um, you know, it was I guess it was almost like a like a boarding school type situation Okay. because uh, there were dormitories. So the kids would sleep there and they're in one of the schools, he actually snuck into the boys' dormitory and tried to give oral to a sleeping boy or started to give oral to a sleeping boy. So just, yeah, just a, a fucking sick motherfucker. Yeah. So then he gets a job as a supply clerk. I said clerk, clerk for a factory in Rostov. Um, this required him to travel extensively across much of the Soviet Union. In September of 1978, he moved his family to Shakti, where he committed his first documented murder. On the evening of December 22nd, he lured nine-year-old Yelena Zakatnova. I'm doing so good with these names. I'm sorry, that was like terrible to interrupt myself there. Um, Yelena Zakatnova to an old house which he had secretly purchased. He tried to rape her, but of course could not achieve an erection. And when Yelena struggled, he choked her and stabbed her three times in the abdomen, ejaculating while stabbing her. He, I should have put up, I should have said a trigger warning before this. We'll just throw it up in the description. Okay. Um, He threw her body into the nearby Grushevka River and two days later, it w- her body was found. There were numerous pieces of evidence linking him to Yelena's murder. There were spots of blood where uh, spots of blood were found in the snow just outside of his secret house. Uh, neighbors remembered him being near and in the house on the evening of Yelena's murder. 
Her school backpack had been found on the opposite on the opposite riverbank at the end of the street, indicating she had been thrown in the river at this location. And a witness gave police a detailed description of a man very closely resembling Chikatilo. The witness had seen him talking with Elena at the bus stop where she had last been seen alive. So despite all of this, 25-year-old Alexander Kravchenko was arrested for the crime. He had previously served a prison sentence for the rape and murder of a teenage girl. So he when was Kravchenko's kind of like home, lost the benefit of the doubt. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, when Kravchenko's home was searched, spots of blood were found on his wife's sweater. And the blood type did match both Yelena and Kravchenko's wife. But I mean, that could just be a fucking crazy coincidence, you know? Right. Yeah. Not even that crazy. I mean, that people have the same blood type, you know? Yep. Well, no, but I mean, testing had to be, DNA testing had to be completely different back then. And especially in Russia, like they didn't have what we had. As extensive. Yeah. So um, he did have, uh, Kravchenko did have an alibi for the afternoon of December 22nd, 1978. He had been home with his wife and her friends uh, the entire afternoon, and neighbors even verified this. So um, I know that this is short, this first episode, but I'm going to stop it here because I wanted to stop it at the first murder. There's a lot, and I think it all should be covered in one episode instead of, like, cutting it in half. Yeah. Um, Because it's just, it's a lot, and it, it goes on for a very long time. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it just goes on and on. Yeah. For years. Yeah. I think the amount of traveling that he does is a huge reason oh, as yeah. to why. Uh, kind of reminds me in a way of Samuel Little. So mm-hmm. how he traveled across the whole country and just was able to kind of evade continuously and even like uh well no jack and Tiverger got caught yeah i mean it kind of it just is reminiscent a bit of samuel little because it it's so many rapes and murders and mm-hmm. all over the place and he's just relentless it's yeah. really and there's no there's no you know um, you know how a lot of killers have a certain type that they they kill. Yeah. There's there's no, he doesn't have that. He kills women, children. Yeah. Of either sex. Yeah. He just it's more like kill, opportunistic. Right. He yeah. just doesn't kill grown men. And yeah. I mean, we'll get a, we'll get more into a, into detail with that in uh, part two. But um, like I said, I did want to stop this after the first murder, just Mm. because it's just going to get fucking crazy. Um, Yeah. yeah. So (laughs) thank you guys for listening. Thank you for bearing with us on our little uh, brief, on our brief hiatus. Uh, We're going to, we're going to keep it up now. Yeah. You know, unlike. (laughs) 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 That was so good. Oh my god. Perfect. I'm sorry. <laughs> no.
no, I'm don't sorry. be sorry. That okay. was just like that was just like expert comedic timing. Like, please. <laughs> that was that was awesome. <laughs> but you know, uh, guys, you know, like I said, if you're watching us on YouTube, like, subscribe, all yeah. that fun stuff. Yeah. Get us Any on Patreon. Interaction. Any interaction with our posts, just yeah. be nice. But any interest yeah. with her post will keep us in the algorithm and help us to kind of gain a little bit more traction. So Yeah, yeah. And we're not saying be nice because we're scared of you. We're saying be nice because we're, we'll repeat you a new asshole. So. Yeah, it's for your own good, really. <laughs> it is. But anyway, you know what we always say? Stay safe. Wash your hands. And don't and kill, kill your family. Or and don't family. Yeah. And oh. don't uh don't uh you know, stab people and get off on it and Yeah. Yeah, don't. I mean there's don't be just a, basically there's you could you could I mean there's options now, you know. <laughs> there are many options. There, there's there's medications. Now, if only that you, he had some fucking Yeah, if only he had some E D medication, you know. Yeah. <laughs> things would have been a lot different for him, I think. Yeah. And again, I don't mean to joke, but, you know, we have to have some light in the darkness. So. Yes, absolutely. They say that on uh, last podcast on the last Oh, podcast that's too. true. That's like, probably where I got it. No, it's and, and it's true. It really is. It's such heavy material that it, if you don't sort of find something to joke about uh even if it is dark humor it, it just it's all it's all very one note and and it's very sad and yeah and uh, just no we're we're not we're not joking about victims we're joking about sick fucks so yeah because yeah. people get people get offended but i mean i get it whatever people get offended by different things but you know this is what we do so <laughs> this is how we deal we're making fun of the pieces of shit that deserve it. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. So yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will see uh, see you or talk to you uh, very soon. Bye, Bye seniors. <laughs>